Our next guest is Senior National Correspondent at the Huffington Post, where I am a blogger, a political blogger. He's a longtime writer on social welfare and health care, and also author of the 2000 book, Sick, The Untold Story of America's Healthcare Crisis. More than a pleasure to have Jonathan Cohn with us. Uh, Jonathan, thank you for joining us. Good afternoon and welcome. Oh, thank you for having me on the show. The first thing I had noticed on Monday when I was debating this on television with one of the people on the right, as I am one of the few liberal Fox News contributors, um, was that Aetna, you know, said, "Okay, we're going to pull out in a number of states, nearly a dozen states, uh, you know, from the Affordable Care Act, from the exchanges. And I remember that the Department of Justice said, sorry, we can't have monopolies. You cannot have your merger with Humana. And I had said on Monday on national TV, I bet this is in retaliation for that. Of course, the conservative thought I was smoking crack. And obviously I'm not, because now we see letters and even threats to that specific uh, point that the CEO of Aetna actually threatened that he would pull out of Obamacare if the feds opposed the merger with Humana. They opposed he pulled out. Um, so this is not to do with, oh, Obamacare isn't working. And this isn't even to do 100% with greed, or maybe it is to do with greed if they make more money with Humana, obviously. Uh, but this is almost like I don't get my way, so I'm going to try and hurt you. Correct? Well, okay. So I would caution, I, 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 I'd say maybe. <laughs> okay. Let's walk this back just a second. So, I mean, what we know for sure, right? So, what you know the, to, to wind this back is we know Aetna announced on Monday, as you said, that they they said, "Look, we are pulling out of uh, Obamacare in a bunch of states. They're staying in. You know, they're going to. They had 15 states. They're they're going to keep participating in four of them, but the other 11, they're going to pull out. And they said, we're doing this because we're losing money on these, and we don't want to lose money anymore on these plans." And people said, gosh, is that because, also because you didn't get your merger approved? Because they want to merge, as you said, with Humana. They said, no, no, this is a separate, you know, this is a separate decision. All right, so that's what they said. And you properly <laughs> said, wait a minute, that sounds a little suspicious. I don't really think, you know, the, these things are so separate. And sure enough, we were able, my colleague Jeff Young and I were able to get a copy of a letter that they had submitted to the Justice Department. Because when the Justice Department was looking at that merger, said, hey, how is this going to affect your business, including how is this going to affect what you do with Obamacare? And they said, hey, if you block our merger, we're going to pull out of Obamacare, mostly, maybe entirely. So clearly the two are linked. And I, you know, to this day, I don't know why they were on their Monday denying there was a linkage. Um, you know, the, the, the one part where I would sort of just say that I'd be cautious is saying that, you know, whether you call that retaliation, whether, whether this is retaliation or some kind of hardball or what this was simply reacting to the fact that their financial position has changed, and so they don't feel like they, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a legitimate financial calculation going on here. You know, I don't know. You know, I, I, don't, I can't see into the heads of their executives. I mean, we can speculate. But, you know, it's entirely possible that, on the one hand, uh, Aetna was basically playing hardball and basically saying, look, we want this merger really badly, and so we were willing to kind of eat some losses on the Obamacare business in the short term before, but if you take our merger away now, we, we are not feeling so well inclined. I mean, basically a little bargaining and hardball. And you can imagine that being the case. You can also imagine the case that even if that is true, whether that's true, it is in fact the case. They are losing money on Obamacare. I mean, they are having problems. Now, what that means about the program as a whole is the whole, that's another conversation we should have, and maybe we can have it in a few minutes. But uh, I think I wouldn't assume bad motives. I wouldn't assume good motives, and I wouldn't assume that 
the two couldn't coexist, if that makes any sense. <laughs> no, it does. Actually, actually, it absolutely does. Um, let's talk about the Affordable Care Act. There are over 10 million people that are enrolled. Some would say that by now they were hoping to have double that number. Uh, one, is that correct? And if it is, only having half the number, does it mean we're going to see future insurance companies like Aetna pull out? And does that mean the end for the Affordable Care Act is certainly there are some conservatives hoping and crossing their fingers for? Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to give you another complicated answer, which I know is what everybody wants to hear. Um, <laughs> <laughs> With as many stats as possible. <laughs> um, so the first thing, you know, they originally projected many more people enrolling in these exchanges. That is true. And they've gotten far fewer. Now, a big part of that is that, number one, when they set up the law, the prediction was, well, you know, a lot of people are going to leave their employer plans and instead they're going to go into these new plans that are being offered through the exchanges. And it turned out that people didn't leave their employer plans. Um, that's not a bad thing. It's not a good thing. It's neither. I mean, you know, you could argue it either way, I suppose. But, it's, you know, that's strictly that, you know, that something else that was supposed to happen didn't, neither good nor bad, but that means there's fewer people shopping around for health insurance. Um, enrollment in Medicaid was higher than expected. You know, the sort of, you know, when they were sort of making these predictions, and, and these predictions weren't that, like, ironclad in the first place, right? I mean, they were kind of guessing anyway. Um, uh, you know, they didn't expect so many people to enroll in Medicaid. So what you have is you have a smaller pool of people going in to look for in these insurance plans. Um, and, and a big part of the reason, like I said, has nothing to do with whether the law is working or not. It's just some other circumstances that are turning out differently. Now, there does seem to, there may be more people who are looking at these plans and saying, you know, gosh, this is how much it costs. It's like, get maybe I don't want to do it. And, they may, and that would be a problem then because, in general, you need a kind of nice, a sufficiently large mix of people to get in a nice mix of people, some of whom are healthy, some of whom are unhealthy. And that, and that makes insurance work. I mean, remember, the basic principle of insurance, any insurance, is that, you know, you get a bunch of people who are paying into a system on the assumption that only a few of them will have problems. So, right, a bunch of us pay for our auto insurance knowing that only a few of us We'll have an auto accident or house insurance, and it's the same with medicine. Um, the danger is you get if you have the, you don't get enough healthy people into the pool. It's harder for the insurance companies to make the math work, and some insurance companies right now are struggling with that. I use that word carefully. Some insurance companies, some insurance companies are doing just fine. We don't see those headlines. You know, you're not hearing about all the companies that are doing well, and you're not hearing about the new ones coming in. You only hear about the ones pulling out. But there are ones that are struggling, and you know that's a it's a cautionary sign. I mean, this is a young system. We're three years into it. These programs do take a while, you know, to, to get them to work right. And sometimes they kind of problems rectify themselves on their own, and sometimes you've got to go in afterwards and say, oh, you know, this isn't quite working. We need to tweak this, change this. And at this moment, you know, that's sort of the big question. Um, when we look at this plan and we look at what the Democrats have come up with to even go uh, further – is it possible, I mean, if you don't, in a, you know, you know when they say, if it's not broken, don't fix it. Well, many could argue this is still broken. And, and when we look historically at social, big, large social programs and changes like Medicare, Social Security, even the number of changes that went into those programs from their inception to current day, um, is, is it too early to build upon and expand anything with the Affordable Care Act and, you know, perhaps, you know, fix and stabilize some of the problems that we see right now? It shouldn't be, and what you just said is so important um, in history. The way you 
build these programs is step by step. And you, and you, you, you sort of you pass the program, and a couple years in, you say, all right, what, what's working? What isn't? All right, let's let's tweak the stuff that isn't working, and then let's try to build on it. I mean, that's how we did Social Security. That's how we did Medicare. And you know, we should be doing the same thing here. And this isn't a surprise. You know, when they passed the law. Um, my favorite quote is the one that Tom Harkin, who former senator, he was head of one of the committees that wrote the bill, he called the law, he said, it's a starter home, you know, we're going to ah, end up yeah. to fix it and build on it, and we should be doing that now. The, 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 and this is what's so frustrating about the Republican rhetoric on this, is that I, I believe, you know, if Republicans were willing to say, okay, we're, we're done with trying to repeal this law, obviously we can't do that. Um, let's sit down and talk about you know, you Democrats, you want to make changes. Well, we want to make changes. You know, I, I, Democrats don't like the things Republicans want to do, and Republicans don't like the things that Democrats want to do. But in a normal political environment where Republicans were at least willing to say, okay, this is a law, it's in place, it's institutionalized, let's move on, you could see some horse trading. It's not hard to imagine a sort of legis- piece of legislation that had some changes that Democrats wanted, some changes that Republicans wanted. It would probably make the system as a whole more stable. And then, you know, you would see the debate going forward 10, 20, 30 years of how to modify it going forward. That's a normal debate. That's what we should be having. But you can't get to that point until you have uh, Republicans dropping this repeal business and saying, okay, let's move on. What do you find? I mean, you wrote this book. You have a background that has, and you have done a heck of a lot more research specifically uh, on uh, Obamacare. Um, first of all, how damaging is this pullout? You know, there are people on the left that try and make it sound like, oh, it's not so bad, and people on the right that make it sound like it's the end of the world. But in, in reality, from where you sit, Jonathan, and all of your experience, and having written the book, uh, Sick, The Untold Story of America's Healthcare Crisis, and knowing what the crisis was and what this plan, the, uh, the Affordable Care Act, this legislation uh, does to help the crisis and the needed reformation, how badly does Aetna pulling out damage, and obviously you man along with that, uh, but how badly does Aetna pulling out, because they are a very large insurance provider, uh, you know, damage or perhaps throw off course um, the uh, pace at which this plan needs to grow? Um, I don't, it's certainly no single insurance company pulling out is going to damage the system as a whole. I mean, look, I'm a, I'm a you know, I'm a, you know, if you could do a single-payer system and not have insurance companies and all, that would make everything very easy. But, you know, okay, we're not going to do that. So if you're not going to do that, you're going to have a system with private insurance companies. And it's kind of a given once you sort of say that's how we're going to do health insurance in this country. We're going to, you know, have insurance companies competing. Companies are going to come and go. I mean, that they should come and go because that means the market's working. So to hear that one company is pulling out is never that big a deal. Um, but obviously it means things for the consumers, who are on those plans because now they have to switch. And some of them would have switched anyway, but not all of them. So, And the more you see that, you know, the more you say, gee, this is disruptive, you know, all else equal, that's not a good thing. Um, it, it's worrisome in so far. You know, what, 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 what makes you worry is that when you see a bunch of insurance companies pulling out, then you think, well, maybe it's not just this one company did something wrong, or, you know, maybe there's something wrong with the system. Maybe there's something we need to fix. I mean, maybe we got to figure out a way to make this insurance a more attractive bargain to healthy people so they buy into the system. Or maybe, you know, we have to give some people more help with their expenses. I mean, there are ideas kicking around along those lines. Um, to some extent, it's hard to know right now because, 
again, we're just three years into this. I mean, the, you know, you're, you've created a whole new market. The insurance companies, they were flying blind for the first two years. They've never had to sell insurance under these rules to, the, under, to these people. They had to guess about the prices. A lot of them got it wrong. You know, we don't yet know whether they'll sort of find they, – they may well on their own say, okay, here's the price we should be setting insurance at, and here's what we can do, and here's the kind of insurance we can offer. And they may just kind of find their way to that within the next year or two, or they may not, in which case you'll have to – you know, you will have to make changes. And, and one other thing to remember, this is – you know, we talk about Obamacare is unstable, Obamacare is having trouble. Well, there are actually 51 Obamacares. Every state plus the District of Columbia has its own market. So, you know, it's entirely possible, I would even say likely, that, you know, we find ourselves in another year or two in a situation where things are going pretty well in California and in New York and in Kentucky, but in Arizona they're having big problems, and in Oklahoma they're having big problems, or at least some parts of these states. Um, So, you know, this is a story where we're going to have to get used to talking about it as something that is working this way in one part of the country, working this way in another part of the country, and might have to sort of say, well, things are okay in California, so let's leave that alone. But, you know, over here in Illinois, hmm, this is, we got to do something over here. So, you know, we need to be thinking along those lines. Would a single-payer option, if uh, this we had a do-over, have resolved some of these issues, if not many? Again, you know, if you had a true single-payer system, right, where we, you know, like some countries in Europe do, where just you, you take Medicare and give it to everybody, that's what Bernie Sanders wanted to do. Uh, yeah, that would definitely solve all the problems. Um, the problem with single-payer has never been that it wouldn't, you know, at least from my view, isn't that it couldn't work if you could ever put it in place. The problem is uh, passing it politically and then actually imposing it on the existing health infrastructure of the United States is 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 is, is almost impossible to imagine happening in a short amount of time. Um, there's a second idea, uh, you know, there was a version, it wasn't really a version of single-payer, but, you know, it was this public option idea, and the idea was to introduce a sort of a public insurance plan as a kind of uh, an extra option for people who were shopping. So when you were shopping for insurance, if you were one of these people, and remember, I should, I should have said this at the beginning, I always say this, you know, we're talking about a very small portion of the, of the country. If you get your insurance from an employer or from Medicare, None of this affects you. But, um, you know, if you're someone buying on your own, so you go to the, the exchanges, healthcare.com, or if you live in California, it's covered California, whatever. You know, you, in addition to being able to choose Blue Cross and Humana or whatever, you know, you could also choose, you know, the government's public option, whatever they would call it. And that, you know, that, got, that didn't make it through the legislative process. It got killed. But, yeah, that would actually take care of some of the problems. In fact, uh, the guy who I think a lot of people credit with really popularizing the idea and really putting it on the map back in 2008-9 is a guy named Jacob Hacker. He's a professor um, at Yale. And he just today actually wrote an article uh, worth reading. It's over at Vox saying, hey, you know, that idea that I, you know, we were all talking about in 2008 and 2009, it's still a good idea. In fact, it's an even better idea now because with what we're seeing about how the markets are evolving, there's an even stronger case for that kind of public option. You know, and Hillary Clinton has, you know, who had endorsed one back in 2008, has said, I'm still in favor of it, and now, you know, I'm going to kind of put more of a priority on it. Uh, again, you know, you got the same old problems with the Congress, and how do you get anything through? But, you know, that would be one answer. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk more about Etnis Pullau, uh, the survival. Uh, oh. 
Oh, I'm sorry, guys. Okay, thank you, Jonathan. My bad. You can only stay a certain amount of time. We'd love to have you back, though. You were yeah, great, Jonathan. Yeah, I'd love to come back. Sorry, I have to go. But uh, we have we have we have a second more. date. We have a second date, and you, I didn't even let you get to first base on the first. Okay, so uh, we good? Okay. I won't tell. Look at I get them all flustered. I'm not even sitting in the room. I'm married, Jonathan. Don't worry. I'm I'm harmless. Jonathan, we'll have you back. Appreciate you being with right. us. Jonathan Cohn, senior national correspondent at the Huffington Post, longtime writer on social welfare and healthcare, author of the 2007 book *Sick: The Untold Story of America's Healthcare Crisis*. The website for Huffington Post, where he writes, and I blog, is HuffingtonPost.com. On Twitter, follow him at Citizen Cohn. That's Citizen C O H N. 